Hello, friends, and welcome again, or welcome once again, to the Pilot Podcast. It feels like it's been an eternity since we've recorded. Uh, I've been traveling, Matt's been traveling, Alan's been traveling. We've had meetings that we've been going to, vacations, and all those sorts of fun things. Uh, and it's just harder to gear up and record in the summertime, but glad to be here with Alan. Matt's not able to be with us tonight, but Alan, how are things over in the fair state of North Carolina? Things are going well. We've had a great Memorial Day here in southeastern North Carolina. Well, that's good. Uh, it's been a good Memorial Day here in Texas as well. Uh, hasn't been too hot. Uh, it's kind of cooled off a little bit, but summer is definitely uh, ramping up here. Well, it's been a while since we recorded, and last week, um, the news that we've all been, or the report that we've all been waiting for finally came out. 288 pages from the guidepost detailing the handling of sex abuse uh, among the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. I think a lot of people have thought this was an investigation of the SBC as an entirety, which uh, that would be very cumbersome to do if you investigated 47,000 churches and the entities. But no, this was just uh, the smallest entity that we have, the executive committee, which functions as the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, except for two days a year when we meet for our annual meeting. Uh, and they'd looked for the past 20 years of that now, and it was a pretty... Uh, tough read for me uh, to read. There was obviously um, some allegations regarding Johnny Hunt in that report that I don't think anybody saw coming. There were things in there that we did see coming, but there were also details that uh, we just didn't know about. In particular, uh, Augie Abodo had a list, the former VP and former interim president of the SBC, kept a running list of ministers associated with the SBC who have been charged or um um, uh, alleged of having sex abuse, but that list was never made public. So a lot of a lot of things like that. So t- take me back to when you saw the report, you read through it, maybe in one city, maybe it took you some time, uh, but let's say you finished it. Just what was your initial thoughts as you finished reading uh, the guy push report? Yeah, I'll just say I, it, it was not the kind of thing that I, I felt like I could just sit there and, and read through in its entirety without just stopping at moments Uh, One, because it was a lot to take in just because of the volume, but two, it was a lot to take in because of the content. Um, Man, I I think we all had some anticipation that it was not going to be good, that it was going to be bad, Uh, but I don't think anybody had any idea that it was going to be quite as, uh, as bad and involved with some of the names that were on the list as ended up being on there. It was a lot to take in, like I say, with, with the volume, but also the content working through that. Of course, the uh, basically the first 200 pages or so are the actual investigations and, and kind of the back third of the report are the recommendations from Guidepost. Uh, so that's a little different reading than the very beginning. Um, I, I've told folks there are several different emotions I had reading it. it there's, there's times in which it's heartbreaking. Uh, there's there's times in which, you know, you almost feel like you're going to throw up, uh, especially going back and, and reading the second part of that report that came out with the list from um, of, of those alleged and uh, accused uh, abusers. Uh, and then there's other times where it's like, you know, we, we just need to have a prayer meeting out back with a two by four with some of these guys and uh, and, 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 and have some adjustment and some prayer, uh, if you know what I mean with that. Of course, I, I'm not advocating for. Uh, anybody actually doing that kind of thing, but there's a, a very sense, a very real sense of indignation uh, reading this report towards a lot of individuals that have been involved, uh, especially due to uh, their lack of 
transparency and and openness with this sex abuse. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that's really well put. Um, as I read it, so I was at my brother-in-law's wedding uh, when the report dropped. So I had to wait a little while before I was able to uh, start reading it and uh, read some of it before we drove back to Texas from Alabama and, and finished reading it when we got back. And it was just um, very difficult uh, to read, uh, especially as a minister, uh, especially as a minister who's had to report things before um, that something like this could happen in our among churches. But I know that we are a convention of 47,000 churches and uh, we all we're all sinners. And uh, so it doesn't surprise me that people do horrible things, but it does surprise me that ministers of the gospel uh, have not done their due diligence in trying to do the best they can to handle these situations. Um, And so it was quite ironic this past Sunday. um, We preach at our church, much like at your church, Alan, expositionally through books of the Bible. We've been going through the book of Ephesians and we just found ourselves in Ephesians chapter five, Uh, Verses one through six, which deal with walking in love, but also walking in light, but also deals with sexual morality and impurity. And so uh, God uh, ordained it that I was able to have an opportunity to talk to my congregation about things that have happened in our convention and things that we need to take serious. I was able to talk about how I was upset that one of the men listed in this report was preaching at a church that Sunday in our Baptist Association uh, that I'm a part of. Uh, and I was very disappointed in that. And um, it just seems like some of us are not taking this as serious as it needs to be done. So as we've read the report, we've digested it. Obviously, it's, it's, it's evil. I told our church we need to pray, uh, pray for the current EC members. We need to pray uh, for survivors, obviously. We need to even pray for those who have committed these horrible acts or covered up these horrible acts or haven't done the right things and pray that they would um, find forgiveness and repentance in that. But as we're getting ready to go to Anaheim, Alan, Guy Post has laid out some necessary steps. We'll talk about one of those things that we've done, that was done this past week, the EC voted on and accomplished. But, and I know we can't, we can't guess what's going to happen in Anaheim. I mean, there's no telling. Uh, but as we get ready to go to Anaheim and there's going to be, a, you know, a presentation of this report given there, what do you think the messengers in Anaheim need to be prepared to do uh, as that happens? Uh, one, be prepared to be in the room. Uh, we, we always talk about that, but you need to be in the room uh, so that you can vote, so that you can respond. Um, brush up on Robert's rules of order. Um, I think as serious as the convention is, period, uh, and especially as sensitive as this issue at hand is, knowing proper parliamentary procedure, especially as things come to the floor, is going to be very important. Um this this report has almost instantly become politicized and partisan. Um, hearing some folks, you know, this is this stuff is is just a witch hunt. Um, this stuff didn't really happen. This is just a woke crusade. Um, hearing a lot of that, a lot of folks dismissing it, and I, I think that you may see some of that in Anaheim. That uh, many folks are not afraid to get to the mic, and they might express their opinion that this is a waste of time. Uh, I've heard that it was a waste of money, um, and and those are those are not my opinions. Um, but I, I would be prepared to to get up to the microphone if you feel that you need to, and and know how to do that. 
um, you know, the reason this happened is because people understood parliamentary procedure and were able to do the things they did from the floor uh, and what the messengers were able to do. And, and contrary to what uh, some folks think, the messengers are the ones with the power. Uh, they're the ones that are able to give directives. And so be there, uh, be registered. Uh, if your church will send you as a messenger, if, if it comes up to the floor and you're a guest, and you can't vote and you can't go to the microphone. You have to be a messenger. So if you have the opportunity to do that, um, take advantage of that opportunity if you can. Yeah, absolutely. You need to be, hopefully be there. And I would just remind everyone uh, that the overwhelming majority of the 15,000 messengers last year supported this investigation and they supported waiving attorney-client privilege. There may be some Yahoo that comes up to the mic and says something like Alan just said, but I would encourage you not to see that as representative of the majority of Southern Baptists because the majority of Southern Baptists, I know now I've seen the same things. This was a waste of money. We need to get our money back. This is the things that we already knew. This is some of this stuff is made up. Um, we got posted a third party independent investigation. They're not taking sides on this. They, they have no interest other than for the truth to come out. Um, and so if some Yahoo gets up there and says something ridiculous, um, let's not say, man, Southern Baptists are so lost, or so blind to this. I, the majority of Southern Baptists, I think, are on board with this. And one of the things uh, that came out uh, that we just talked about a minute ago was the Bodo list of ministers uh, that had been convicted primarily. Most of the ministers on this have been convicted of a crime. And then they kind of running database, but they didn't contact churches. They, these guys bounced around with other churches, some of them abused other places they went. And so the EC voted to immediately uh, let Godpost release that list, 205 pages long of, 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 of people who had committed these acts. And the question that has come around is, should there be some kind of database uh, that maybe ministers would be able to access or church administrators would be able to access when they are in the process of maybe interviewing and hiring people to come on staff of their church. Maybe it could be run through like SBC workspace where you can have credentials to log into it and you can just type somebody's name in and their name could be flagged. I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of these cases, if churches would just run routine background checks, they would come up. Uh, and so if your church is not running a background check, what are you doing? Uh, you need to do that. In fact, we require every year, anybody that works with our kids, we run a background check annually on everybody that works with our kids when their time comes up, when they work with VBS or Upward Sports, we run those. Uh, you have to be a member of our church for six months before we even let you serve in our kids' ministry uh, because we just take this very, very seriously. Uh, you need to be running background checks on, on all members that are serving in your church, but certainly anybody that you're hiring uh, to work in your church. But if not, Alan, I mean, they should be doing the balance. Do you think we should have some type of database that is searchable for those who have been convicted and maybe even alleged of abuse and have not been convicted to where churches can talk through these things uh, with those people. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I, I first and foremost would resound with what you said, just, just do background checks. Uh, it is so easy these days. There are so many companies that do background checks. Um, oftentimes even local sheriff's departments will help you run background checks. Um, when you're hiring somebody, I, I think that it's, it's just too easy not to do them. There's some cost involved, um, but it's it's worth every penny. Um, I, I can see the value in it. I, I know that it's probably a slippery slippery slope when you start talking about uh, with alleged things rather than accusations. Um, I, I think that you'd have to work through that. Um, 
you know, but but at the same time, uh, again, I'm, I'm not saying that that it's not a doesn't have potential to be helpful. But if a church is not running a background check, I don't know that they're going to go through the trouble of of using a database. Yeah, uh, you're probably right. You know, it, it does get kind of muddied there with a, alleged abuse. Uh, if they haven't been convicted or hasn't been evidence, um, I don't I don't know what the perfect answer is to that. Uh, I'm imagining that uh, there will be recommendations and things along those lines. Uh, but certainly for those who have been convicted of crimes, uh, some type of database for that would be nice to have, even if they're not running background checks. But certainly, I mean, do the bare minimum, folks. I, I think it cost us $10 a background check that we run. So it might be $5 uh, that we run. Uh, I know that we have. we got some deal with the company that we do it with. And, uh, you know, we've had people who've wanted to work in certain areas of our church. They've been flagged. We've been able be able to understand what's happening there. So certainly do that. Um, Alan, our response just as Christians to this uh, report, how, how should we lament and pray about this? Well, I, I think the two things that you just said are two things that we need to do. We need to lament. Um, the Bible says that we are uh, sorrowful with those who are sorrowing. Uh, we weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Um, I think that's part of it. Uh, certainly prayer, prayer for the victims, first and foremost, and uh, prayer for the um, perpetrators, uh, prayer for the repentance, uh, prayer for our churches for protection. Um, I, I think those are appropriate actions. I, I love being a North Carolina Baptist because we as a state convention have been trying to uh, get ahead of the ball with all of this. We have been very proactive rather than reactive. Um, I served the executive committee of our state convention and back in November. Uh, we voted unanimously to ask our EDT to review all of our policies uh, concerning sex abuse within the convention um, and, and all of its entities there. And so uh, try to be proactive if you can in your church and your local association and your state convention, if you have the opportunity to do that. Um, I promise you, you'll be glad that you did it ahead of time instead of waiting until it was in a situation like what we've had with the EC. Um, and also, if if you're a pastor, uh, do like you did on Sunday morning, do like I did Sunday night. Um, I was genuinely surprised when I brought this up on Sunday night that probably 60 or 70 percent of our folks at church that were there Sunday night had heard something about this uh, because it's been in the national news. And so being able to to walk and talk through it honestly um, with transparency, but also with lament in uh, a spirit of prayer, I think is very helpful. Absolutely. We sent an email out to our church on Tuesday last week uh, of kind of my response to it. And I had some people on Sunday that said, hey, thank you for addressing it immediately. And then we talked about it Sunday morning, of course, too. Um, again, we told our church to pray, pray for leadership in the SBC, pray for survivors in particular, because this was a hard day for them. I and mean, maybe in a day that they, for some that felt like it was finally a, a victory, but also for many, it was a, a day of mourning. Um and just pray that we do better going forward uh, to stop doing stupid things and uh, move forward as a convention, deal with what we've got to deal with, improve our systems and move forward. Alan, anything else on the Six Abuse Task Force report that came out from Guidepost? Well, today is Memorial Day, and uh, many Southerners like to cook out, not barbecue, but cook out on Memorial Day. Some people may eat barbecue on Memorial Day, but... Uh, if you are having burgers and hot dogs, you are cooking out, not barbecuing. And Alan, I think hot dogs is a staple for many 
on Memorial Day. So if you're making a hot dog, how are you making it? And what are you putting on it? What is the way that Alan Murray eats a hot dog? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to give you an ideal situation. Not what I did today, but ideal situation. Okay, good. Uh, starting out with a good split top bun. Uh, and then for the, the actual hot dog, my favorite hot dogs are made in Johnston County, North Carolina, a company called uh, Carolina Packers. Uh, bright leaf hot dogs they are bright red hot dogs and i know that's not for everybody uh, i know the food die scares some folks but they are the absolute best hot dogs you'll ever have they don't fill them full of nitrates and preservatives you can only get them fresh uh, and so when you get a bright leaf hot dog you're not getting a hot dog that was cooked uh, and put on the shelf like three months ago so split top bun uh, bright leaf hot dog and then carolina style uh, it's often called, which is typically mustard, chili, onions, and slaw. Uh, and so good chili, <laughs> good chili with no beans. Um, oh and then some, some minced or, or grated onions, some really good slaw, a little bit of uh, prepared mustard or just regular yellow mustard, whatever you want to call it. And then one other thing that I love on my Carolina style hot dog, and it's a North Carolina thing as well is a little Texas peat. Um, you know, if you're not a Texas peat fan and you want to use some Louisiana or some crystals or some Tabasco, you do that as well. Uh, today we grilled out hot dogs uh, because by the time it's Memorial Day, it is too hot to cook barbecue, in my opinion. Uh, I love barbecue all the time, but it is just, it's hot. Uh, but we grilled out hot dogs. We had Oscar Myers and, and cheap buns, but I did make uh, slaw and I jazzed up some canned chili with some ground venison and minced up some onions. And they were okay, but they were not as good. What about you? What, what goes on in Texas? What, what's, what's special about them down there? Well, in Texas, they love to get the – I don't know what brand they are, but they are these hot dog wieners that are they're, they're just about as hot as you can eat them. Bright red, got jalapenos, and, I mean, it is hot. That is not my preference. Uh, but uh, I do like that. They also do like a lot of like not maybe even like a hot dog wiener, but like sausage, uh, and throwing it throwing it on the bun. They like doing that. Now me, I love um, a good bun. Throw some mustard on the bun. Place the wiener on top of the mustard, and then put some onions on there, and put some chili on there. Uh, and I'll do coleslaw or no coleslaw. But also I put a little cheese on it as well. On that. Now, I had a roommate, roommate in college who would make hot dogs and he would put mayonnaise on the bun and then uh, he would heat up the bun with some craft cheese and then put mustard and a hot dog wiener on there and eat that. And I'm not going to lie, they weren't that bad. Uh, I would eat those. Uh, but I, I'm with you. I like the chili. I, I like beans in my chili, but not beans in my chili on hot dogs. Uh, but I like a little cheese on there. Cheese uh, is a nice little touch for, for me. No ketchup, mustard only. Yeah, def definitely no ketchup on a, a hot dog for me either. I like cheese in a hot dog, uh, but not necessarily cheese on a hot dog. You know, while we're kind of talking about this southern hot dog thing, uh, there are places in South Carolina, I believe it's Pauly's Island, where they put mayonnaise on a hot dog, which is not my thing. I love Duke's mayonnaise. I love hot dogs. But <laughs> You know, the, do not put them together. But they do mayonnaise, peanut butter, and onions on a hot dog. And I know that sounds so weird. Uh, that's because it is. Uh, I have not brought myself to try it yet. Uh, but but you can have that. You're talking about the spicy hot dogs. Those bright leaves that I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, Carolina Packers, they make one they call a, a red hot, which is like a, a, a short um, hot dog, kind of like a sausage, and they put crushed red pepper in. Oh so you get that great bright leaf taste, but with crushed red pepper in it. I love to take them, cut them in half 
sear them in a cast iron pan and put them in between a hot biscuit. But uh, not quite a hot dog at that point. How often are you eating hot dogs? I mean, that's such an easy meal to make with kids, right? The, the kids eat them more than I do. Okay. Uh, they'll often have one for lunch. We'll we'll throw one in the microwave for them, which is not my preference at oh, all. Well, that's almost pagan. Uh, well, you know, uh, I, I love a steamed hot dog, and I love to grill one today, especially if you have a beef hot dog. A beef hot yeah. dog needs to be grilled. Got to be on the grill. Yep. So. Uh, that's good. Well, y'all, it sounds like you had a good Memorial Day then, even if it wasn't your ideal situation for a hot dog. It sounds like y'all still had a good time. We did. Well, friends, let us know how you like to eat your hot dogs, unless uh, you put ketchup on them, because that's just downright wrong if you ask me uh but let yeah let's know how you eat your hot dogs um and let us know how you and your church responded to the task force report let's uh, consider praying and moving forward uh as we consider this and join us next time i think we're gonna do an episode preview leading up into anaheim so join us next time same baptist time same baptist hour stay baptist my friends